Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. But tonight, we're here for Dylan Hicks and his new novel, which is his first novel called Boarded Windows. Uh, Dylan Hicks' writing has appeared in The Village Voice, The New York Times, Rain Taxi, Spin, The Millions, and the Best Music Writing 2007 Anthology, as well as elsewhere. He is also a musician whose latest recording is a recording. Do you still call them albums? Can you do that still, even if it's, is it an album? Oh, it is an album. Okay, I'm always tempted to call it an album, but then I fix it and call it recordings, and then I feel like I want to be a Luddite, or I guess it's not really a Luddite, because records take electricity. But um, his latest recording is a companion to Boarded Windows entitled Dylan Hicks Sings Bowling Green. So I'd like you to please put your hands together for Dylan Hicks. Maybe there's a height discrepancy here. Thank you, Stephen. And um, okay, so um, yeah, so I'm going to read two sections from this this novel. And I did. Yeah, it does have this this companion piece here, of which I have a limited number of copies. I have this copy, <laughs> and then I have two CDs in my bag as well. But the book, if you buy the book, I don't want to get into hard sales, but if you buy the book, it has a, there's a download code in the back. And there's a complicated procedure you can go through and then have it on your computer. So, but if you like palpable um, albums, you could see me and we could work something out. Um, okay, so this is a book that's n narrated by a man who's remembering when he was 20 years old and received a... Um, unexpected visit from his shadowy father figure. And this first um, section is early in the book. It's the morning after that, that visit has begun. I was due at work by nine the morning after Wade's arrival. But if I was following my normal schedule for days on which I worked the nine to six shift, I got out of bed about 20 minutes after eight. I wasn't so much lazy as efficient. My uh, showering and toothbrushing were nearly symbolic. I hadn't yet taken up coffee, and I wasn't delayed by vestiary decisions since I only had one pair of work pants, Calvary Twills in Lake Michigan Blue. At the time, I thought they were called Calvary Twills. One pair of work shoes, postiche cordovan loafers aged to a clownish red at the toes and heels, and four or five billowy button-downs, whiter pastel and always dirt checkered on the inside cuffs. Most days I made it to the corner, often with wet, 
sometimes freezing hair and an ersatz bagel in my hand or mouth, some crumbs dangling below my lower lip, in time to catch the bus that got me to work 10 to 15 minutes late. I worked in downtown Minneapolis at an unhip record store, a shabby, not terribly profitable branch of a locally based national chain, now shuttered. For the purposes of this book, I've been tempted to give myself a different early 90s job, something comparable to the record store job in terms of status and remuneration, yet more fertile, original, and attractive. For example, I have an acquaintance, roughly 15 years my senior, who makes hand-carved Judaica and nativity scenes. His latitude and large collection of Coltrane bootlegs are just two of the things I admire about him. And there was no reason I couldn't have served during the early 90s as his assistant or paid apprentice. I'm picturing it now. The wood and so forth, the tools, the bench or what have you, the dusty tape deck playing Hetty West. Considering the work would be natural for master and apprentice to talk of theology, philosophy, history, politics. An anti-memoir of ideas might result the carver playing Plato to Wade's Diogenes. But no, it wouldn't work. One must write the tedium one knows, on top of which the carver has never been in a position to hire help. My title at the record store was full-time key holder. That first morning of Wade's stay, I had time to eat my bagel at the unsteady Formica table in our small dining room, which was also a library for some of my records and an office and it had lodged a sewing table on which Wand and I kept a collegiate dictionary, its spine held together with packing tape, and a word processor whose alien green letters shimmered around their edges as I typed my mostly plagiarized and unpublished record reviews. From this access-like dining room, one could potentially see into all four of the apartment's other rooms, though on that morning I could only see a buttery sliver of the sunlit bathroom and none of the bedroom its door closed to give Wanda privacy from our potentially lupine guest. In the living room, Wade had thrown off my comforter and stripped down to his brief socks and bandana. The socks were the same shade of white but of unequal length. A thick patch of hair protected his sternum. His left leg hung over our spongy thrift store sofa between whose back and cushions his right foot was burrowed. One of his hands rested atop his head, itself resting on the sofa's arm my pillow pushed to the floor, as if he were securing a hat, cowboy, beret, coxcomb, from the wind. An apparently uncomfortable pose of the sort Lucian Freud favors for his portraits of sleepers and recliners, though I wouldn't have made that association then. Wade was even thinner than I remembered him. His spidery legs were especially arresting, but it wasn't a druggy thinness. When I put on my coat, he roused, looked at me confusedly, smiled slightly, and asked a few groggy questions about my job. For instance, what kind of keys do you hold as full-time key holder? The one for the front door, I said, and a few others. I'd in fact been given more keys, duties, and privileges than the FTK was officially entitled to. That's a start, he said. Later, we'll need the keys to the kingdom and the keys to the highway, maybe those of D and B minor. He cleared his throat and spit some phlegm into his loosely tied bandana. I'm going to be a DJ in Berlin, he said. Berlin, Berlin, or Berlin, North Dakota? Berlin, Berlin. That's what the records are for. I need to ship them over, over the world sea. 
I'll need some information about your post offices. Okay, I said. They're bats for C&W over there, man, he said, now sounding more awake. Cowboys and Indians, swinging doors, sawdust floors, they can't get enough. They'll have to self-destruct, I said. Come again? Disco Inferno? Oh yeah, Wade said. Tavares. The tramps with two M's, I corrected. I was standing in the doorway, my right hand gripping the door's exterior knob, my left foot already on the hallway's indecisively Polynesian carpet. Well, I should probably shove bats for it, especially the Aussies. C&W speaks to them with particular clarity, of course. An old friend of mine runs one of the big stations in Berlin. They just switched to an all-country format, but expertise is scarce, you know. Authenticity is scarcer, like everywhere. He says he'll give me a slot the day I arrive. Y you speak German, I said. Sure, I was a German major, he said. I mean, I didn't finish, but sure, I speak German. I spoke German when you were a kid. Not to me, you didn't. Well, you wouldn't have understood me. You could have taught me the alphabet or something. It's the same alphabet. Not exactly, I said. There's that funny B and stuff. That's not a B, it's a double S. I know what it is. My defensive tone birthed a short pause. You studied German, Wade said? Not really. I took a couple years in high school. I tried French, too, but no sprachgefühl, he said. I shrugged and started to say goodbye again, but he cut me off. You think you'll ever go back to college? Maybe. I'd advise against it, and against accepting any further promotions at your record shop. Is that a possibility? Is what a possibility? Further advancement at the record shop? I'll probably get to be assistant manager pretty soon. Well, don't get sucked in. He sat up, pushed his hair out of his eyes. Sucked into what? Money, status, home ownership, credentials, all that. Embouchement looms. I wouldn't be able to buy a house on the assistant manager's salary, I said. Sure you would, eventually. Or it'll lead to something else. You'll become the manager, then what? District manager, area manager. Regional manager, they call it. Regional manager. Next, it's... That's probably as far as you could go. Okay, I should shove off. Or the job will bore you back to college. You're smart. No genius, probably. I don't mean that as an insult. I'm no genius either and still kind of pissed about it. But you're smart enough. You'll want people to take you seriously. He waved a hand like a cat trying to take down a bug. But that's exactly what you don't want. As he was leaving, he got up, still in his underwear, to go to the bathroom or kitchen, and while I waited for the bus that got me to work a half hour late, I wondered how much of the day he'd spend undressed, and whether at some point I need but fail to put in a request for modesty. And so this visit um, doesn't really have a um, clear terminus, and um, we learn more about the narrator's history with this, this man, Wade, um, who was sort of his de facto stepfather during the, um, I'm going to, I had a change of heart about the positioning of the microphone, um, during the late 70s, and, um, but then left the narrator and, and the narrator's mother to tour with this country singer, kind of second-tier country singer named Bowling Green, whose songs, in some conceptual sense, I'm performing on this aforementioned album, which I think is pretty clever. Um, so now this, this section doesn't require a, a lot of more explanation though. 
At this point, um, the narrator is celebrating his, uh, or about to celebrate his 21st birthday on this evening, and uh, a foursome has developed, um, the, the narrator who doesn't have a name in the book, and, um, and then um, this Wade Salem character, and then the narrator's uh, girlfriend, Wanda, and, and her um, newly acquired friend, Marianne. And so they're gonna celebrate this, this narrator's 21st birthday. On mid-December of, in mid-December of 91, on my 21st birthday, Wade, Wanda, Marianne, and I assembled at the apartment for a makeshift dinner and a few tokes, after which we'd walk to the oversized, vaguely bohemian corner bar where Wade possibly did business. Wade is um, a drug dealer. Um, <clears throat> the phone rang as I was finishing my tuna sandwich, and soon my mother was wishing me a happy birthday in a valley, aspirous, often incomprehensible voice hot potato voice, it was later suggested, that being one of the symptoms of peritonsillar abscess, or quinsy as it's commonly called. I stretched the phone as far away from Wade as I could, not wanting my mother to hear his voice in the background. I thanked her for her card, a grievance woven into my gratitude since a card seemed a puny maternal gift for a son's 21st birthday. She had a sore throat, she said, was having trouble swallowing. Hubble's hollow men, I teased. She repeated herself. She hadn't seen a doctor yet. I told her to see one right away, but perhaps my concern seemed perfunctory. I thought about asking her a few questions about Martha Dixon, but figured it wasn't the time. She told me she loved me. She said she was proud of me. For what, I said, to my later regret. But at least I mumbled that I loved her too and thanked her again for the card. Next, I should have called my aunt. My aunt and mother, despite their proximity, roughly 15 miles, weren't in close contact with each other just then, but certainly my aunt would have chauffeured Marlene to a clinic or hospital on my request. Probably I shouldn't forever berate myself for not leaping, in, leaping to action over what I took to be a bad sore throat. It was a Friday night and the bar was crowded, lots of people trying to hail a waitress or squeeze up to the bar, others walking their drinks oafishly, gingerly, or in one case sexily, back to their booths or tables. For instance, with two pints raised above bumping level in the semaphoric U, an image I now suspect I've recalled, not from that night, but from a Michelob commercial. Nothing bad had happened, as Michael Kruger wrote in the end of the novel, published around the time of that 21st birthday, except that everything was getting worse in the most cheerful manner. We found a booth near the jukebox, the air around which, Wade said, was doing some kind of violence to a song he'd always liked. There are some public spaces, he said, that in some moments can enrich and revive a record, even a record seemingly parched by overexposure. Public spaces and collections of bodies and historical forces that can work miracles of restoration, returning, for instance, all the impudence and alienation, all the endless flux and eternal striving to I can't get no satisfaction. And there are some public spaces, he went on, that will invariably debase or deform a great record or song though this debasement or deformation doesn't normally happen in drugstores or elevators where traditional Muzak, if you'll excuse the oxymoron, was still played in the early 90s, whereas now my neighborhood druggist plays the Staple Singers and the Ramones, though I've not yet heard I want to be sedated, but rather in places where authenticity and individualism are respected, but stupidly. It was this latter fate, this kitching and vitiation, that befell the songs limping from the corner bar's jukebox that night, Wade argued. I started to feel sympathy for the songs I liked, exaggerated contempt for those I didn't. Wade invited me to the pool table, 
Predictably, he was an excellent theatrical, erotically limber player. That's one of the things he was in general, a player, ein Spieler. He threw a strict dart too, slaughtered me at around the clock in football. When we rejoined Wanda and Marianne, he leaned under the table to find his shearling coat, pulled from one of its pockets an unwrapped paperback of Goethe's Die Leiden des Jungen Werthers. You'll pick it up, he said, when I recalled my two inattentive years of high school German. Wanda's gift was a pair of saddle brown cowboy boots with a tannin red filigree that I immediately began tracing with my index finger. Wade had helped her pick them out, she said. Marianne gave me a deck of playing cards that I'm pretty sure she just happened to have in her purse. Our plan had been to maintain a non-committal buzz at the corner bar for an hour or so, then pile into Wade's car and claim my free half bottle of cheap champagne at Minneapolis's leading nightclub. This plan was losing its appeal, but I couldn't think of a better idea and figured that even a mild expression of ambivalence or discontentment would come off pathetically on my birthday, which really was proceeding nicely, only I no longer felt like being in a crowd. Maybe we should just go back to your place and play records, Marianne said, as if she'd sensed my change of heart. We could have our own dance party, she added in the movie voice of the kid impresario, then laughed her intoxicatingly sharp laugh. Back at the apartment, I wiped the fog off my glasses while Wade looked for his boot jack. Are we barefooting, he said. Not me, pard. I'm wearing my new boots, I said, struggling to put them on. Bend your knees, he said. They fit just fine, were more comfortable than I'd expected. My twills weren't in perfect sync, as Wade needlessly pointed out, but I tucked them in the boots and earned compliments all around. Wade sat on the couch and rolled a couple numbers on a Judith Butler book while Marianne sang the chorus to No Parking on the Dance Floor in the standard robotic, robotic nasal and with accompanying gestures. Wade swayed slowly up from the sofa, holding a lit joint in each hand, his face to the floor, his hair like fresh blacktop descending a hill on the, in the Coteau de Missouri. I scissored one of the joints from his fingers and took a long, swooning hit that seemed to relax my shoulders till they fused with my hips. Marianne turned up the stereo. I won't carry on about the songs we played. I've in fact just deleted a complete, and I concede, largely falsified set list from our utopian three-hour dance party. It should be clear and will become clear that I'm no dogged opponent of inventories or nostalgia though I'd like to think my nostalgia is defensively more personal than historical, that my sentimentality is over the hour of my youth have to do with my youth, not its hour, though one can't separate oneself from history. But even if I could remember the full dance party set list and could then conquer the temptation to edit the list, deleting errors of taste or attributing them to one of the other dancer DJs, inserting hipper or square selections, making the list broader than narrower, then more worldly, then more provincial, then more multicultural, then more ethnocentric, then more masculine, then more feminine, then straighter, then queer, then more timeless, then more period. Even if I had magical recall and could overcome all obstacles of self-consciousness, I'd still be disinclined to trivialize this memorial pull star with the droning roll call of pop songs, which isn't to say I think the songs themselves were or are trivial, which is to say the opposite. In Goethe's novel, I read it in translation years after Wade left Minneapolis, further says that when dancing with Latte, he was, quote, no longer a person. 
That seems the best way to describe the transcendence I felt dancing that night. It was something like meditation, I think, though really I can't say, having not tried that. My mother Marlene meditated for a year or so in the figurative 70s. It was the 80s, but she wasn't always in her time, a trait she passed on to me, though not genetically. At any rate, I felt easy, unselfconscious, and transported that night, voided. Maybe I skimmed the Christian ideal of Philippians 2.7, in which Jesus is said to have emptied himself. The comparison is absurd and obviously blasphemous. I'm letting it stand only to humble myself for having thought it. And because I did feel blissfully emptied that night, some kind of just windexed mirror, dumbly taking in everyone and everything. Voided was too strong, however. Were that accurate, I doubt I'd remember having been voided. Everyone danced better than they were. Wade jaggered and browned, spun and twisted, held out one leg, made circles with his calf, rotated an ankle, clapped and kicked, skated and snapped, punched and chopped the air, whirled his forearms around themselves like a lawnmower blade, like a temptation. I was surprised when he told me he favored sweet but not sugary Eddie Kendricks over salty but not coarse David Ruffin. He pretended to dry dishes and dial rotary phones, did the monkey and the chicken and the dog, all those animal dances, did none of the dances correctly to the extent that I could judge, yet did all of them perfectly. He wasn't afraid to use his hips that night, and neither was I. Wanted the same narrow sway all night, or the same monotonously contented smile, never stopped dancing even during songs I knew she disliked. She wore her moth-eaten sweater longer than seemed comfortable, but finally pulled it off mid-sway. Her tight stop sign red tank top was sweat-stained underneath her small breasts and around her lower spine, and when she turned away from me, her upper back looked beautiful, especially the shadow that sometimes formed between her pronounced shoulder blades. During one song, I gently touched her back with my palms. Really, I was trying to just hover over her skin, but I couldn't be so exact while dancing and would often slip and make contact. Then I tried to touch only the fine hairs on her pale arms, never the skin, and the hair seemed to reach out for my palms. Manutropism, I believe this is called, until she herself reached out for me and we kissed for a long time. It felt like a goodbye kiss and filled me with longing for routine kisses in the distant future. Most of Mary Ann's moves, like Wade's, were overtly referential but never predominantly ironic. At one point, she grabbed one of our mismatched dining room chairs, a metal one with a, a blue vinyl seat cushion marked with thin, wandering rips like rivers on a map, straddled it and pushed it over and shook with a mock ecstatic frenzy that, as just indicated, wasn't really mock. Not long after, she put her hands against the wall and walked in place as on a treadmill, her camp shirt rising up her jeans, inviting one or more of us to imagine a police search, inviting me to kneel on the floor and run my hands up her thighs and ass and kiss the small of her back. I refused this invitation, which hadn't really been made, and didn't dwell on my refusal. Our Saturnalia was hugely sexual, but not hugely lustful. When the four of us laid out our blankets and coats and prepared mutely for sleep on the hard living room floor, there was some touching and neck kissing, but no significant removal of clothes unless some were removed after I nodded off. And I doubt that anyone felt stupid, ashamed, regretful, or even hung over the next morning when the phonograph stylus was perhaps still stuck in the slick limbo 
between the last band and the paper label and was thumping like a heart all night. Though I doubt that as well, since my turntable back then was a nearly inerrant retractor. And so those are two sections from this book. This is conventionally the time in which I will field questions if there are any. Um, or else we can proceed with the rest of our evening. Um, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> yeah, $10 bill. They don't all come with the $10 bill, alas, or sales would really jump. Um, yeah, so. Otherwise, um, the books are for sale at the counter, and um, and you could even ask me questions, more intimate questions, perhaps directly. Um, I'm in a much better mood, so I'll probably ask them more, answer them more subtly. Oh yes. Um, seems like this bunch of well, seems like you hit a lot of references in uh, your book. Mm -hmm. the, the one that I start out with the Goethe, his wife, Locke. Yeah, well, the character's brother's right. girlfriend, yeah. Girlfriend. Um, or love interest. That you, you searched out and did, or did those just come naturally when you were writing? Um, um, well, um, I, I kind of gave myself a little reading list for this Wade Salem character. Um, so there was some, some reading was deliberate or procrastinatory, I'm not really sure which. Um, but I was telling myself that when I was reading during the day, I was really working. Um, but um, I sort of thought that um, he would be the sort of guy who would like Schopenhauer and Nietzsche and sort of dark pessimistic uh, philosophers and, 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 um, and then maybe have an interest in Germanic things. So there was some of that. And then I also just threw a lot of stuff in that I was reading during the time if it seemed to chime with the book. Um, and then a lot of the references are invented. So um, I was trying to create a sort of artistic world that was resembled our own, but was somewhat um, altered because some of these are sometimes they're real figures, but their works are imaginary or they're imaginary figures. Yes. Okay. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm. I am signing them, and we'll even do. Oh, this is what a so exciting to see such young readers. <laughs> um, yes, I will sign them and even even do one of my primitive drawings on the uh, title page if if you like. Yeah. I actually had one other question. Then. Yes. Uh, now that you have a book out and now you've done records, is that is it still on your way to some other? Is it next a video game or mm. or do you, are you, will there more more books or more records or what's next? Yeah. I was saying that um, that someone asked me if I would do another kind of companion thing, and I feel like I would have to either lower or raise the stakes. Like either next time write a book and then maybe have like a a companion coaster or button or something, something really cheap, or like a really ambitious work of land art, you know, or something like that, you know. Because I, gotta, I, I don't know, so I haven't really worked that out. I would need funding, I think, for the latter. Yeah. <laughs> But with, if these $10 keep appearing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Anything else out there? All right, so what I'll do is I'll just bring a table out and Dylan can sit and sign books. Let's give him another round of applause.
You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.